Well, where has the summer gone? It's already the first week of September. Labor Day just passed. And it seems like we haven't really spoken a lot this summer. You know, beginning of the summer was preparation for Thriller Fest and all the reading and all of the getting ready. And then, of course, there was the, the recap episode sometime towards the end of July, I guess, after we've gotten back. And now almost a whole month has gone by, maybe even longer since we last chatted. And I feel like uh, I feel like I've got so much that I need to catch up on. Uh, obviously, I could spend a lot of time on the books that I've already read, which is oh, probably four or five different uh, Roy Grace novels from Peter James. I read the new Tom Clancy book called uh, Support and Defend, which, as you know, is not really Tom Clancy anymore. It's This one was Mark Greeny. Um, I read the new um, Preston and Child book called The Lost Island, which was the uh, Gideon Crew storylines, not the Pendergast storylines. Um, so obviously there's, there's a lot that we can talk about, but I don't want to talk about that stuff right now. Um, a, a few episodes ago, I think I teased, I think maybe when Phil was here, that I'd found a book in the bookstore that I was really excited to read, um, and I wanted to do it as part of like a, um, a series of books all on the same topic. And that was the, uh, the book Hyde by, uh, by Daniel D Levine or Levine or whichever one it is. And I'd had this idea that I was going to do, um, kind of read this book, Hyde, read the, um, the, the book or the novella, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and then also read the book by Valerie Martin called Mary Riley, which seems to be, um, I think, an alternative version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde's story as well. And so I was going to read these three books together, and I was going to talk about them, and um, I got to a point where I needed a break from some of the Roy Grace novels and some of the other stuff that I've read, and so I picked up Hyde by, uh, by Daniel Levine. Now, first, let's go back to the character of Mr. Hyde and, and Dr. Jekyll, and uh, I, w I would challenge any of you out there who are listening to tell me when it was that you first heard about this character called Mr. Hyde, because I can't remember. It seems to me that Mr. Hyde is something like the Boogeyman or Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or just one of those characters which seems to always have been ingrained in our, our, our I don't know, our literary sociology. But we can't really pinpoint when that discovery, when that uh, understanding of who Mr. Hyde was, when that actually took place. And so I... I I think that there's been this this creation of Mr. Hyde in all of our minds as to who he is and what he was. We we attach to him certain characteristics and we attach to him certain qualities that that uh, um, you know that that are the, the the darkest shadows of the of the night and the boogeyman and he who you know the the bumps in the night and that kind of stuff. That's that's Mr. Hyde, and yet. I'm not sure how much of that is, is accurate. I'm not sure how much of that is true. Um, now, I read uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the novella by Robert Louis Stevenson about a year and a half ago. And prior to reading this book and prior to reading um, the novella itself, my knowledge of, of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was pretty limited. Um, like I said, I, I think it was only just this shadowy figure, this boogeyman type of a thing who was, you know, all sorts of evil. And, and that's a character that seems to have been created by, uh, by Hollywood, whether it's in movies or television shows or on stage with the Broadway musical. 
And my exposure to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was, for the most part, um, the Broadway musical, which I had seen a couple of times. And so when I read the, um, when I read the novella uh, last year sometime, I was actually fairly surprised by how little of the characters of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde actually appear in the novella. And I was also surprised at how different the musical is from the book itself. Now, the book is only, or the book, the novella, is only about 80 pages long. It's broken down into 10 chapters. And the longest chapter happens to be the last one, which is where Dr. Jekyll tells the entire story of he and his relationship with Mr. Hyde. But prior to that, it's really a novella about discovery. Well, no, discovery is not the right word. Um, it's told from the standpoint, or it's told by um, Dr. Jekyll's lawyer, um, Mr. Utterson. And so the, the character of Mr. Hyde really does not come out, even in the fiction, even in the source material, until that very last, ep that very last chapter. And so having read the novella last year, I was really surprised at how little of the character actually came out through the novella and how much of the character has been expanded upon by Hollywood. Unfortunately, despite having read the novella about a year and a half ago, I didn't remember enough of it to really be prepared for this new book. And so that was when I had decided that I was going to read the three books together. I was going to read the original source material, then I was going to read this book, Hyde, and then I was going to read the, um, the Mary Riley book by uh, Valerie Martin. And then it occurred to me that maybe it didn't really matter whether I read the novella first or whether I didn't read it again or whether I read it second. And so I came up with this idea that maybe what I wanted to do in order to keep all the books separate, to keep the source material separate so that I wouldn't have confusion of which you know, events took place during which book, um, I decided I was gonna read each of them separately. So I was gonna read Hyde, by Daniel Levine, then I was going to record an episode and tell you about it. Then I was going to read the novella, and I was going to record an episode and tell you about it. And then I was going to read the third one, uh, Mary Riley, and then hopefully be able to put them all together at that point. So as is normal for the best laid plans of mice and men, uh, I read the, the book Hyde by Daniel Levine, and then as I was waiting to record this, uh, it turned out I couldn't get I couldn't get access to the room <laughs> in which I record. And it was uh, early enough in the evening when I finished the book that I needed something else to do. There wasn't any good television on. There was no uh, Dodgers to watch. And so I just started reading the novella of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I'm glad I did. So I've read the two. I have not yet read Mary Riley, although I plan to pick that up within the next week or so. And uh, we'll talk about that at that time. But so what I want to do is, is talk to you and, and discuss with you um, the original novella and then this, the, uh, the second book, this Hyde book. That, uh, that it's, a, it's a twist on the original story. I think that's where I will start. Now, as we all recall from whatever method that we learned of the character of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, we know that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are one and the same person, that Mr. Hyde is some sort of an altered ego who is all things evil, created through some sort of a scientific means, whether it's by uh, potion, which I think is the traditional way that we all learn of the creation of Mr. Hyde, is this chemical compound that Dr. Jekyll creates, and then he drinks this potion, and he 
undergoes a physical and psychological transformation to c become this um, this uh, true evil villain of Mr. Hyde. But maybe that's not how it really happens. <laughs> and and it's interesting because after reading the 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 second book and then going back to the novella, it's clear that. There's very little in the novella that describes where Doctor, uh, where Mister Hyde came from, and there are long gaps in the narrative of time, and the questions arise of what's been going on during that time, what was Mister Hyde doing, what was Doctor Jekyll doing, and so this book Hyde attempts to fill in those blanks and give us an alternative understanding of who Mister Hyde was. And the book starts with the concept that Dr. Jekyll is dead. Now, if you've read the novella, you're aware that the end of the book, the end of the novella, Dr. Jekyll kills himself. He be believes that he has come to the end of his rope. He has struggled far too long with Mr. Hyde and is concerned that Mr. Hyde will take over his body and believes that the only way to rid himself of Mr. Hyde is to kill himself. So there's no surprise in that that Dr. Jekyll is, in fact, dead. And that's where the story begins with Mr. Hyde, who has discovered that Dr. Jekyll is dead. And at that point, he takes us through the entire story from the beginning of the character of Mr. Hyde through to the point at which Dr. Jekyll decided to kill himself. And I think that stories like this are not new. Um, they've certainly been done before. And I think the most famous um, story that would fit into the same type of a, a genre or concept is the book Wicked by Gregory Maguire, which, which suggests that there's an alternative explanation for how the Wicked Witch of the West became wicked, that she started out as a little green girl who went to school and had this great relationship with Glinda, the Good Witch of the North, and, and all this about how the, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West was just misunderstood and and turned bad by a sequence of events or whatever it was and honestly i don't remember because i didn't read the book i i saw the musical and i'm I, i'm sure that the musical is not 100 percent faithful to the book itself but my understanding is it's it's fairly fairly um um honest to the source material so my understanding of the character was enough from from the musical that i saw now i resisted the idea of wicked i resisted the musical i'm probably one of the few people in the world who did not like it and one of the main reasons why i did not like it is because i could not get over the idea that the wicked witch of the west was not evil again from the time of our inception, basically, we are taught through all of the viewings of the Wizard of Oz that the Wicked Witch of the West is evil incarnate. She is awful. She is everything that gives three, four, five, six, seven, eight, twelve, fifteen, thirty-five, fifty-year-old people nightmares. That's who the Wicked Witch of the West is. I defy you to find a child who did not have a nightmare after having seen the Wizard of Oz. And this green, ugly witch who has a frightening voice and flying monkeys and who dies because of water. 
Okay, I defy you to find somebody just, you know, <laughs> like like the like the musical Wicked defying gravity. I defy you to find somebody who hasn't had that same type of an experience with the Wicked Witch of the West. And so books that attempt to give villains an alternative explanation typically are difficult for me to grasp or to swallow. And this book it does that. It tries to give off the impression that Mr. Hyde wasn't really that evil, that he was misunderstood, that in fact he may not have committed the, um, the crimes uh, that are attributed to him, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, and that there was some alternative explanation for the creation of Mr. Hyde, and maybe he wasn't such the, the villain that, that we all believe him to be. I didn't remember the novella very well. So in reading Hyde, it was like coming to these characters anew. And some of the characters I did, for whatever reason, remember were integral to the novella, such as Mr. Utterson. There were other characters that I didn't remember, such as Lanyon or Cornelius or Poole or whoever these other characters were. And so as I'm reading Hyde, it's difficult for me to remember is this something that was created out of the author's imagination or was this actually some sort of or does this actually have some sort of connection to the initial original source material? So having had the opportunity to read Hyde first and then the novella, I was able to discover quite easily where the correlations between the two books, where the two stories were. And in fact, I think that that the author, Le Daniel Levine, did an exceptional job of tracking the original source material and utilizing um, the briefest of mentions of events and evolving those into full-blown um, interactions and placing them all within the time frame within which the novella takes place. So he does fill in some of the, the gaps in time of which there are many if you read through the novella. Now, if you're not reading the novella with any type of a of a analytical eye, you're not going to pick these things up. So the first time I read it, I didn't pick it up. I had no clue what I was getting into. I knew it was an 80-page book or so. I could probably bang through that in a day or two. Um, and I read it more because I was curious as to the material itself, not that I had any interest in studying it or learning about the duality of man or anything like that. I, I, it was, I had gotten to the point where the early, the, the Victorian age, the 1880s, the cobblestone streets, that you know that whole genre that we discussed before, that was where I was getting really started in, in that genre, and it seemed like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was a great place to, was a great novella to bring into the to my reading experience um, involving that area of time. So I wasn't paying attention. I didn't know what to expect. I figured that Dr. J or the Mr. Hyde was this boogeyman character, this ultimate villain. And so at the end of the book, I, I, I found myself during the novella reading waiting to get to the juicy parts, waiting to get to where there was action, waiting to get to where Mr. Hyde's true villainy was, was made evident. And it really doesn't come out that well in the initial source material. However, because of Hollywood's creation of this mythical character of Mr. Hyde, there was there was already this preconceived notion that he was villainous, and yet the novella doesn't really bear that out so much. So in reading Hyde, I was hoping to get that. I was hoping to get 
the character being drawn out more I wanted the character to be much better drawn as the villain. I wanted to see the evilness. I wanted to see what it was that was hitting, hiding in the shadows of Robert Louis Stevenson's initial source material. And this book actually doesn't do that. This, this book, again, attempts to create the idea or maybe give you the notion or the possible notion, let's put it at that, that Mr. High was really in an what's the word where you don't and a misunderstood character he wasn't really that bad um he does commit two murders they were murders of circumstance they were murders of i think the author would like us to believe they were murders of necessity and one of those murders is actually the murder that does occur in um in the original source material and so you get a different perspective of who mr hyde was during this book to the point where you start to potentially feel for his plight and believe that perhaps the murder that he committed was justified, that there was a good reason for it. And it's difficult to grasp that. It really is. Now, the Mr. High character to me is not as deeply enmeshed in my fiber of villainy as the Wicked Witch of the West because Obviously, we're much more inundated with the villainy of the Wicked Witch of the West than we are with Mr. Hyde. But I think, again, if you ask anybody in this world to describe Mr. Hyde in five words or less, they're going to tell you something negative. They're going to say he's evil, he's a villain, he's the boogeyman, whatever it is. So, again, there is that resistance to the concept that Mr. Hyde may have been, a misun may have been misunderstood. The book was about 300 pages, and it was beautifully written. Um, clearly, the author has a gift for the language and really did an excellent job of writing in the prose that was common to um, the 1880s when the original source material was written. And so there was a, um, a warmth to the writing that felt cozy in the cobblestone streets and gas lamps and fog of of 1880s london but i found that the book did drag and it did have its its and it and on the converse it did have its points where it really there was action it was moving pretty quickly but to give you just the the briefest of synopses about mr hyde um the 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 method by which the author attempts to convince us or maybe suggests that Mr. Hyde was a, a misunderstood character is he's not the the praying type. He's not preying on people. He's not going out shulking, you know, uh, hiding in the shadows and waiting to to take his his uh, villainy against the, the man on the street. In fact, he develops quite a nice relationship with uh, with a prostitute who ends up being, I think, 14 years old named Jeannie. And he takes a, takes her into his home, and he provides for her, and he ends up providing and taking care of her her young sister as well. Um, and that's an altruistic aspect of Mr. Hyde that we don't see in the initial source material. It, having read the source material a year and a half ago, not remembering a lot of it, I found myself reading this book and saying that it it didn't make any sense. It's it. Why is this happening? One of the first things that Mr. Hyde does is he goes and he rents a house and he gets a housekeeper or a maid and Mrs. Deeker. And he 
confesses that he spends long periods of time there. I mean, we're talking months, a month, two months, whatever, two months, whatever it is. And for a novella that's 80 pages, it didn't seem to me that there were those long gaps in the narrative of time during that 80 page novella. And having gone back and rereading it, I noticed that absolutely there was. There is long periods of time where Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyder are unaccounted for because the story is being told in most part by um, Dr. Jekyll's friend, his lawyer, Mr. Utterson. And so Mr. Utterson isn't present during this whole entire uh, uh, length of time. And so he doesn't know what's going on. But Mr. Hyde obviously does. And so he's telling us in the last few days that he has basically an existence as Dr. Jekyll is now pa pa now killed himself. He's telling us everything that has happened during this what ends up being, I think, almost a year, a year and a half of his existence. And so he he does what people do. He, you know, goes and he rents a house and he takes in a housekeeper and 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 things like that. And his his transitions back and forth between himself and Dr. Jekyll are, are described as to what what takes place during those times. So the, the, the big issue, as as we learn in both this book and the novella, is the the relationship between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is not understood by Mr. Utterson. One of the first things that happens in the in the novel and in the novella is that Dr. Jekyll tells Mr. Utterson that he's he wants to change his will and that he wants to leave as his beneficiary, his sole beneficiary, he wants to leave everything to Mr. Hyde. And obviously his lawyer, Mr. Utterson, cannot do it, does not accept it. And this is something that's more fleshed out in the novel than in the novella. Because in the novella, I believe it's uh, uh, only referenced that Dr. Jekyll asked Mr. Utterson to make this change. Mr. Utterson said he wouldn't, and so Dr. Jekyll did a holographic will where he decides he's leaving everything to Mr. Hyde. And so Mr. Utterson starts to believe that there are, in fact, these two different people, this Mr. Hyde and this Dr. Jekyll, and he needs to discover who Mr. Hyde is and why he's become this beneficiary of all of Dr. Jekyll's riches. And Dr. Jekyll does what he can to explain it and, and says, you have to trust me. I know what I'm doing. I've taken in this sad sack and I'm conducting experiment and whatever it is. But we learn that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde have actually been in existence for quite a long time. And this is something that we learn later on in the story as Mr. Hyde actually confronts Dr. Jekyll about his own existence and, and explains that Mr. Hyde is a character who has been around for basically all of Dr. Jekyll's life. And we know that Dr. Jekyll turns 51 during the novella. And so we learn that, that Mr. Hyde was actually with Dr. Jekyll at the time that Dr. Jekyll was just a kid. And this is the discussion of where Mr. Hyde comes from. The musical paints an entirely different picture of where Mr. Hyde came from or where the, um, the, the impetus to, to create Mr. Hyde or to discover, to, to conduct the experiments came from. So the musical begins, and I read this on Wikipedia not that long ago. The musical begins with Dr. Jekyll's father having passed away. Dr. Jekyll is in an insane asylum. And when he gets out of the insane asylum, he takes to his laboratory to begin chemical experiments to determine why, well, what's the right way to put it? I believe he, he, his father had died of some sort of a brain disease, whether it was Alzheimer's or dementia, whatever it was. And I think Dr. Jekyll takes the chemical, 
takes undertakes chemical experimentation to see if he can't solve the mystery of the human mind. And while doing that, he dis- he creates this potion, and the only way to discover the potion works is to take it himself, and then that's how Mr. Hyde is created. The novel suggests something different. The novel suggests that Mr. Hyde is actually, for lack of a better word, a schizophrenic identity of Dr. Jekyll's that was created when Dr. Jekyll was a child and was dealing with an abusive father. That Dr. Jekyll was frequently um, locked in a closet, forced to drink or forced to smoke or forced to take cocaine or whatever it was as a way of this tough love of his father. And that Mr. Hyde was created out of Dr. Jekyll's psyche as a way to defend against the trauma that was created by his father. And we learn this from Doctor uh, from Mr. Hyde as he confronts Dr. Jekyll with another experiment that Dr. Jekyll had undertaken on a 12 or 13-year-old boy that Dr. Jekyll was attending to in Austria, I think it was. And we learn of these experiences where Dr. Jekyll was treating a boy who had an alternative personality, and that alternative personality had another alternative personality, and Dr. Jekyll eventually, it's discovered, was... Uh, uh, medicating the boy and eventually because of the over medication and the difficulty that the boy had dealing with his alter egos the boy ended up killing himself hanging himself in his uh, in his hospital bed so we have a twist here in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde the novella we have this perception that that Dr. Jekyll is our hero that he and I don't I confess I don't remember if the book really it describes the reason for the uh, experimentation. But we have this concept, this belief that Dr. Jekyll is our hero. And in the musical, we have this belief that Dr. Jekyll is our hero. That his means, that his, his reasons for undertaking the medical experimentation were altruistic. And yet, the novel suggests something different. The novel suggests that Mr. Hyde was this alter ego created from the traumatic event and that Dr. Jekyll may actually be the villain who employed these chemical experiments on a young boy and eventually led to his suicide and eventually led to Dr. Jekyll's own suicide. So it's an interesting twist on the idea of the relationship between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Did I like it? Yes, I did like it, but I struggled. I struggled because I was yearning for the boogeyman because I had been trained since a child. Whenever it was, I first discovered Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You're trained to believe that Mr. Hyde is this evil incarnate. And so I wanted to see that. I wanted to see what it is like to lurk in the shadows because the story is told by Mr. Hyde to us. So I wanted him to tell us what it was like to lurk in the shadows. I wanted him to tell us how he stalked this person, that person. And in fact, you know, when you think about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you think about this this alter ego or this duality of personality. It's an interesting idea because I think a lot of us have have fantasized or daydreamed about leaving the life that we're in, leaving the circumstances we're in, and venturing out into a world where no one knows us, where we have freedom to do what we wish, 
where we can go anywhere we want, do anything we wish, and there are no repercussions. And and I, and I always thought that that was something that Robert Louis Stevenson was playing with, that that he had given this thought to the idea, or he given idea, given thought to the concept of being able to walk away from who you are and experience life as somebody else. And when we think about people who have um, mental issues, schizophrenia, bipolar disorders, and things like that, the manifestations of their disorders or their um, diseases or complexes, whatever they may be, those manifestations are internal through their brain and through the operations of their brain. And yet, it's very clear, both in Hyde and in the source material, that there is a physical change. There's a physical metamorphosis when Dr. Jekyll becomes Mr. Hyde. And you wonder how freeing that must be. Because there are instances where Mr. Hyde interacts with Dr. Jekyll's friends. He interacts with Mr. Utterson. And Mr. Utterson doesn't recognize him. He interacts with Dr. Jekyll's servant or butler, Poole, and Poole doesn't recognize him. There is such a physical transformation, and it's described in both books, that talk about the ultimate freedom. Talk about the ability to go do anything, be anybody, and then disappear. Because that's what Mr. Hyatt is able to do. He's able to go out into the world, wreak whatever havoc he wants to wreak, and then eventually changes back into Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde is vanished like he never existed. And there's even discussions, I think, that, that if I recall correctly, that um, you know, Mr. Hyde, after he committed the murder of Danvers Carew, which is the same murder that took place in the source material, that he disappeared, that so much time had gone by, he must have left London, vanished off the continent, whatever it was. And there's, there's, even though Mr. Hyde is evil, or, or as Daniel Levine would have us believe, maybe not so evil, there's a playful ability that I think was lost. Because during this period of time that is, is gapped during the source material, Mr. Hyde is enjoying a little bit of a domesticated life. He has the house, he has a servant, he has the live-in girlfriend or the you know the the ward who he's decided to care for under potentially um incorrect circumstances by the way, the belief that he's saving this child when in fact he he may not be um so i I look at that as a missed opportunity i mean those of us look all of us you look around if you were able to escape the life that you have even for a day an hour would you go and reestablish the same life someplace else no why why would you you know if you're married with kids and you had a chance to depart from that for a week or a month or two months like mr hyde ends up having that freedom do you go and find a new family for two months and, and re-domesticate? No. So the musical 
I think, played on that very well because Mr. Hyde became truly an evil character. He frequented the really lowest of the low aspects of society, and he got in with hookers or strippers or whatever it was. And I think that during the musical, if I recall correctly, there was this this duality of or, – or not duality, this opposing uh, uh, interactions where you had Dr. Jekyll and his girlfriend or fiancé, and then you had Mr. Hyde and his stripper. And you you were able to get a little bit of the freedom of the Mr. Hyde. And I, I've, I've always said, and you've heard me say it, maybe you haven't, I've certainly told it to my kids, that the hmm, – what's the best way to put it? Everything is more exciting when the villain's on the screen. The movie is more exciting when Darth Vader is there. The movie is more exciting when the boogeyman is on the screen. The movie is more exciting when Captain Hook is there. The movie is more exciting when Maleficent is on the screen. And for all the kids, like my kid who doesn't like Captain Hook or doesn't like, look, she does musical theater and she doesn't want to play a pirate. It's like that's where the fun is. The fun is when the villains are on the screen. The fun in the book is when the villains and when the villain is taking taking action and I've made comments about this before to other books I've read that if you don't get to read about the villain enough then the book is not moving and here for for Hyde the villain doesn't really show up that much and so this character who I was hoping would be you know look Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde the novella Mr. Hyde shows up sparingly and yet that's the most exciting, most exciting part of the book. So if you're going to give me a whole book of that character, I'm expecting a whole book of the exciting time. Because I don't need to see, you know, the, 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 the domesticated Mr. Hyde who, you know, he goes home and he cooks dinner and then he goes to bed. It's like, okay, I, I don't want to see that part. I, I understand why the author's doing it because the author wants to create – um, empathy for him because he's been misunderstood for so long and he wants to maybe reverse the roles a bit and create more of a um, uh, more of a, a an ill feeling about Dr. Jekyll and more of a, a sympathetic feeling for Mr. Hyde I get that but I wanted the darkness I wanted the villainy I wanted 300 pages of this guy just wreaking havoc because he has the freedom to do so he has that freedom he doesn't exist. He's created out of nothing. He's a f physical being that does not have any exposure. He can go anywhere, do anything. He can explore the seedier parts of town. I remember when I was reading, uh, there, were, there were parts of the book where he goes to Whitechapel, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe he's going to go meet Jack the Ripper. Maybe he's going to go into the Three Bells pub or whatever it is. Something. Give me something nasty. Give me something that I can sink my teeth into and go, yeah, this is this is the villain that was missing out of the novella because the 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 villain in the novella is the mystery. It's shrouded in mystery. It's the it's what is that really that's behind that door? And yet Hollywood and society has crafted this perception of Mr. Hyde that is true and utter evilness. So let's see what that evilness really looks like. 
And I'd hope that the author would have some fun with that because I think it would be fun. I mean, I think it would be fun to write that character, to write the character who has no boundaries, who can go and do whatever he wants or she. I mean, it doesn't need to be a, a man, but in this case, it's, it's Mr. Hyde. And so that's kind of what I was looking for. And that's 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 where I had a level of disappointment. Does that mean that the book was bad? Not at all. Does that mean that I enjoyed the book? Of course. I mean, I, I really did like it because I, I and I liked it more. After I read the novella, because it, I, at that point, I, I was truly able to decipher how impressive a feat it was to create this novel because it does fill in those gaps. It 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 takes little sentences out of the novella which is only an 80 page page novella and it and it and it explores those or it it takes little hints and it it develops those into much larger discussions and the creativity and the the just just the the imagination to create that was was really remarkable um and i really really enjoyed it and and but I would I really wanted to see something nasty. And there were a couple of them, a couple of brief instances where he, he follows some, some person from a pub and he can't explain why and he beats the shit out of him. Um, and I, I seem to recall he, he actually may have even killed another guy. Um, but it was the killing of Danvers Carew, which is the murder that takes place in, in the novella itself, which is the, the murder that, um, is attributed to to Mr. Hyde. Um, it, it just, I, I mean, I, I liked it, but I wanted to see more. Um, I wanted to get more of that villainy out of out of Mr. Hyde. Um, but it it got me to thinking about about when this book was written, and actually not just this book. I meant the the novella, but another character as well that came about during this time. So, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm going to look here in the book. And by the way, the, the book, beautiful edition. It actually has the novella at the end of the book because it's probably um, public domain. Um, but so it, at the end of the book, you, you turn a page, there's a, a small introduction to the novella by the author. And then you've got the, uh, got the novella right there. So... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the novella, was written in 1885. 1885. And I looked up today that the Sherlock Holmes character was created in 1887, I think. And both of those books, creations, were in England, in London. And... You got 1885, 1887, and then in 1888, you have Jack the Ripper. And I wonder if, at the time of the Jack the Ripper killings, if there was this, I don't know, outcry about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, think about it. Today, we like to say how the media is responsible for um not the media i take that back yeah media entertainment hollywood is responsible for all the violence in the world violence in the world and the video games and the movies and tv and you know everybody's fond of saying well 
it's not the media I mean, it's not the movies and tv just watch the news and you'll get that there but there's this outcry about violence as being created by entertainment or being encouraged by entertainment and i wonder if during the time of the jack the ripper killings was there also the same public outcry i mean if you think about it this perception of mr hyde who walks you know wears a cape and a top hat carries a walking stick isn't that the same persona that we attach to jack the ripper uh, aside from the obvious physical differences because i think the the media's portrayal or or hollywood's portrayal of jack the ripper is i think uh intended to be a clean cut um established gentleman whereas mr hyde is truly of a grotesque nature um who walks hunched over and you know seems probably a cross between a i don't know a troll and and an ogre or something like that with this hunchback and all that kind of stuff but at the time was there a public outcry that jack the ripper was somebody's mr hyde because isn't that what it is it's it's potentially i don't know but you you would think that that people who have the capability of committing such horrific crimes that they must be able to store those urges someplace else so that they can function during the day i mean they don't go around killing people all day long so at some point during the day they have to have some sort of a normal type of a function and i think the idea of who jack the ripper was takes that into consideration whether he was a surgeon or he was an upstanding businessman or li or uh, um, even somehow related or, or connected to the royal family, there were two sides to the personality of Jack the Ripper. And just like there's two sides to the personality of Dr. Jekyll and his Mr. Hyde. And so I wonder if, if there was any type of a discussion or outcry about that. And I read uh, Judith Flanders' book, The Invention of Murder, last year and, and we talked about it briefly and I don't remember I, I think maybe I'm going to have to pick that book up because there there had to have been some discussion in that book about this very concept because yes I understand from what Miss Flanders said in her book that that murder became a type of entertainment that they would have the murder scenes preserved so that the general public could walk through and the the hangings, the executions of the murderers would be public events and, and would be, you know, hot news and, and kind of that, you know, you're nobody if you're not there kind of a thing. But I think as they neared the end of the 19th century and you got to Jack the Ripper, I think that it really became a tr that, that the society transformed into one that was more, I think, fed up with the idea of the murder and was in fact fairly frightened by what was going on and if that was the case why wouldn't they be looking to blame the creation of jack the ripper on robert louis stevenson on a, a, a mr hyde and by contrast you look at a character like sherlock holmes and for as much as sherlock holmes was um such a, a regaled figure that the people of 
England, the people of London, people of the world potentially were in mourning when Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had Sherlock Holmes fall off uh, Reichenbach Falls to his death. They believed in his his existence so heartily. At any time, was there a call to Sherlock Holmes to solve the Jack the Ripper mysteries or to solve the, the murders? I mean, I know that there have been numerous books written recently which involve Dr. Jack or uh, involve um, Sherlock Holmes and his pursuit of Jack the Ripper. But at the time, in the a, a late 1880s, in 1888, as the murders were taking place, was there a public call for Sherlock Holmes to save the day? I find that very interesting. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm curious. Maybe I'll, I'll see if I can't do some research on it because it, it, I, I'm applying my 21st century mind to you know, the end of the 19th century and expecting that people at the end of the 19th century would have acted the same way. And I know that's, that's not the case. And, and it also assumes something that I hadn't really given any thought to, which is how well read was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde at that time? Or is this something that has come to pop more popularity as a result of Hollywood? Because I think that's a situation where Hollywood has done a great service, but also a grave injustice to the the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because it's done a great service because it's taken an 80-page novella and created uh, you know a, a a mythical creature that goes bump in the night that is the boogeyman that lives in the shadows that perhaps every one of us has inside of us but the flip side is perhaps they've done a great disservice to the initial source material because what makes Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the novella, so good is the fact that, doc that Mr. Hyde exists only in our own mind because we don't see him. He doesn't have a face. In fact, he doesn't really appear that much until the end of the book when Dr. Jekyll gives his narrative of what happened. And it's in that point, which is only about 15 or 18 pages, so we're still not even 25% of the book, and at the end, no less, we're still not seeing the entire picture of Mr. Hyde. And it's one of those things where I think that the human mind will create more of a frightening creature than what Hollywood would put in front of our face. It's like the, uh, the, the, the idea that your mind will, will blow it out of proportion, will make it so much more scary than it actually is because that's, that's how the mind works. The mind not having the information with which to create the picture will create the most dis dis uh, um, distressing and uncomfortable picture that we can't our our minds are always much more uh expansive than than anything we see on tv because when you see it in the movie that's the image you're given that image you don't have anything to to compare it with that's it that's your image but when you're reading and you're not told very much other than it's this character that's lurking in the shadows 
and he's undergone a physical transformation. And and I can only imagine what it was like reading the novella when it first came out and not even realizing that it was the same person. I mean, can you imagine what the what the the uh, the discovery was when you find out that that Dr. Jekyll, our hero, our physician who was under who was undertaking such a, a fantastic scientific experiment was actually the same person as the boogeyman lurking in the shadows can you imagine what what that must have been like how that reveal was discovered i mean there's so little about literature now that is discovered by us we already know it all we've already seen it all we may not know all the intricate details but we already know that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. We already know that Abel Magwitch was the benefactor for Pip in Great Expectations. I don't know. Maybe that was a poll. I don't know. Um, you know, we, we already know all of these things about literature. It's so difficult to surprise us these days by reading, you know, the, these these pillars of literature, these 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 you know, classics because it's all been developed already. It's already been a movie. It's already been on TV. It's already been developed or rewritten or whatever it is. So we don't get that aha reveal, that oh my gosh. You know, I felt that last year or maybe year before that, I read the Scarlet Pippernal. And I remember having that feeling because I didn't know enough about the the book i hadn't seen any movies i hadn't seen the musical and there's a place at the end where our hero the scarlet pimpernel saves the day but we find out he's been in disguise the whole time and i remember actually being surprised when he came back into the pages as having been this this character who was in dis in disguise i was actually surprised and i thought at that time wow it's it's got to be an amazing feat at this point to pull one over on a reader of a classic because the stories have all been told. And so I wonder what it was like for society at the time reading the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and discovering that it was the same person. I wonder what that must have been like. All right, so I just I just paused for a second because I wanted to find this. And, and I had mentioned that I wasn't sure I didn't recall exactly where or what the, the reasoning behind Dr. Jekyll's scientific experiments was in the original source material. A and so I was able to look it up, and, and here's what it says. He says, um, uh, I, for my part, from the nature of my life, advanced infallibly in one direction, one direction only. It was on the moral side and in my own person that I learned to recognize the thorough and primitive duality of man. I saw that. Of the two natures that contended in the field of my consciousness, even if I could rightly be said to be either, it was only because I was radically both. And from an early date, even before the course of my scientific discoveries had begun to suggest the most naked possibility of such a miracle, I had learned to, to dwell with pleasure as a beloved daydream on the thought of the separation of these elements. If each, I told myself, could be housed in separate identities, life would be relieved of all that was unbearable, the unjust might go his way, delivered from the aspirations and remorse of his more upright twin, and the just could walk steadfastly and securely on his upward path, doing the good things in which he found his pleasure, 
and no longer exposed to disgrace and penitence by the hands of the extraneous evil. It was the curse of mankind that these incongruous faggots were thus bound together, that in the agonized womb of consciousness these polar twins should be continuously struggling. How then were they dissociated? So there was a altruistic means or, or, or reasoning behind his experimentations because he wanted to figure out a way to allow people to separate their positive sides from their negative side so that they could always be positive. I mean, that sounds pretty altruistic to me. And, and, and that doesn't dis- differ that much from the, the musical's interpretation, which is that he saw that his father was struggling with mental disorder, that he himself was struggling with mental disorder, and so he was trying to figure out a way to resolve that issue. And yet, this book suggests that maybe it was more along the lines of a schizophrenic issue than it was a altruistic endeavor into something for the greater good. Um, and in fact, one of the one of the small differences in the book is, and, and Mr. Hyde comments on it in in the novel, that the perception is that it's this potion that Doctor Jekyll drinks. But in fact, it's actually an injection. So I thought that was interesting. Um, there was one other passage that I wanted to read. This was from the, the novel itself. And it talks about the actual physical transformation from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde. And he says here, into a slim glass file, he transferred the serum. This is Dr. Jekyll. He transferred the serum and popped in the black rubber plug. Then he picked up the first syringe by its cold steel loops. The needle punched through the plug, and like a hummingbird's beak, it sucked out the fluid to the white middle line of the barrel. He fitted this syringe back in the red innards of the millward box and picked up the second. His nibble hands performed the operation on muscular automatic. He could have done it blindfolded. At last, he shed the rest of his clothes, hung them in the wardrobe, and bound the chill rubber tourniquet around the left biceps. I could feel the pressure hissing into the vein in the cleft as he flexed his fist, then the steel punching through the skin. I teetered on the brink before the plunger was depressed and then pitched forward into the centrifugal spin as the room whipped around on its axis, flipping me up and into the body with a sick, dizzying lurch. Clumsily, I stumbled around, air tingling on my skin like dissolving snowflakes. I pulled my clothes from the wardrobe and fumbled them on, not caring which button went through which hole. Down to the groove on my brow, I screwed my old topper. I retrieved my trusty walking stick and then paused as always before the long mirror. My hand quivered as I reached out toward myself in reflection. Then I pressed it flat to the cold palm on the nether side of the glass. When I peeled my hands away, a humid stain shrank into its center and vanished. I mean, that's pretty good stuff. I, I got to tell you, that's, that's really, really um, talent right there. Um, and, and I found myself really um, enjoying these passages and, and the writing and the writing style and the, the fluidity and the, the lyrical aspect of the writing um the only the only drawback i had from the book was i wanted to see more of the villainy i wanted to see more of of mr hyde being this mr hyde who i had created in my mind and who hollywood had created for us this this mr hyde who we only got to see a little bit of in the novella this mr hyde who we've been trained to believe since we're born that he is evil 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 just like the wicked witch of the west 
So that was Hyde by Daniel Levine and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. So here's my plan, just so you know and so you're caught up. I just started the new Jack Reacher book called Personal by Lee Child. It came out uh, just yesterday. And so that's about 350 pages, like about 50 or 60 pages in. So I'll probably finish that oh, around the weekend or so. And then I've got a little bit more than a week. And I've got to figure out what to read because I've got another Roy Grace book I want to pick up. I've got uh, Mary Riley by Valerie Martin that I want to read and I want to discuss with you. But I've got to get those books out of the way. I think I'm going to read those too. I got to get those books out of the way because on September 16th, two weeks from yesterday, is the monumental release of the third book in the Century Trilogy by Ken Follett called, uh, I don't remember, Edge of Eternity, I think is what it's called. And uh, this is a, a trilogy, uh, I am expect is a trilogy, this is the third book, and it's the final book. And I'm expecting if it's uh, like any if it's anything like the two previous books, Fall of Giants and uh, Winter of the World, it's going to be a huge doorstop of a book. We're talking eight or nine hundred pages. Um, and if you're not familiar with the Century Trilogy, it basically is uh, Ken Follett's Chronicle of the 20th Century from basically right before World War One all the way up through, I think, Cold War, maybe even the 1980s following these families and their offspring from the in, during the entire uh, 20th century. And they've come out two years apart. So my daughter's turning four. And I remember I read the first version, for first, first volume, Fall of Giants, which dealt with World War I up through the beginning of World War II. I read that uh, October of 2010 when uh, my daughter was born. I was reading it in the hospital. Two years later, as my daughter was celebrating her second birthday, Winter of the World came out, and that was World War II, mostly World War II up through Korea, I think. And now, two years later, as she's turning four, will be, I believe, Vietnam all the way up through the uh, end of the 20th century or maybe 1980s, 1990s, something like that. So I've got to get another Roy Grace book out of the way. i got to get Lee Child, Jack Reacher book out of the way, and I want to get to the Mary Riley book all before September 16th when uh, I will start the third volume of the Century Trilogy. And I've been doing a pretty good clip. I've been getting a book done, pretty much a book a week, maybe even a little quicker. Obviously, the last book in that trilogy is going to take me a little bit longer, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. And then we've got a couple weeks after that, I think, no, maybe it's beginning of November, is Michael Connolly's next book, The Burning Room. Uh, Harry Bosch is back. So that's where I'm at, at least for reading through the end of September and probably into October. Um, find me on Goodreads. I've, I've actually gotten quite a few new friends on Goodreads or people who are following me, so find me on Goodreads, Rob Cohen. Uh, Twitter, Rob Cohen 13, also Book Therapy 13. I've been getting a lot of new followers on, uh, on the Rob Cohen 13 as well, so feel free to find me there. You can find me on uh, Gmail, booktherapy13 at gmail.com. And on Facebook, Book Therapy, BookTherapy.com, RobCohen13.com. Jeez, I'm everywhere. Just find me. Let me know you're out there. I'd love to hear some feedback. And uh, this has been Rob Cohen. Thank you for letting me lie on your couch. <laughs>